Well, good evening, church family. Again, it's great to be with you. Uh, we miss you guys. Just want you to know we're praying for you guys. And, you know, we're really praying for this thing to be over and that, um, you know, we can gather together again in our church and, and have that fellowship. I, I don't know if it'll be quite the same, but nonetheless, uh, we're looking forward to that day. So, uh, again, we're uh, just got, glad to be with you this evening. Uh, so before we get into the word of God, let's open in prayer. Gracious Father, we, we bow before you, Lord, and uh, Lord, each day that goes by, we, we, we see, Father, your greatness, because man has been able to do a little to uh, stop uh, this pandemic, Lord. They're trying hard, and they're, they're, they're trying everything that they can, God, and, and um, again, uh, it just shows the, uh, the weakness of man and and it shows your greatness, God, because only you can stop plagues and, and catastrophes of, of um, you know, that, that you allow to come upon our land, Father, and upon people's lives, God. So help us to look up and to see you, Father, seated on the throne. We pray for our church family, our loved ones, Lord, our extended family, that, God, you would just keep them safe, keep them covered, Lord that your will would be done, Father, and that uh, we would be tuned in to you, Lord. And that, Father, we let your spirit show us things, God. Show us things that maybe we haven't seen before because we're so busy in taking care of things and the cares of this life, Father, just you know, choke them out, Father. And so uh, in this time, this uh, time that we have together and, and um, you know, just the, the quiet time at home, Lord, and Again, may we may we just look to you and may our eyes and ears be open to you, Father, that we can see great things, mighty things, Lord, uh, that you're doing. And again, as we started in Esther, um, we're, we're looking for the big picture, Father, and, and we know behind this pandemic, Lord, there's a bigger picture than we all can see, Father. So help us to see it little by little, Father. And now as we begin our study in the book of Esther, God, may you bless our time. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. All right, open your Bibles to uh, Esther chapter 6. The title this evening is The Turning Point. The Turning Point. And I think we'd all pretty much agree that Haman and the terrible things that he's doing, that he's done, they're pretty bad. But we have to remember that God loves him and that all of these terrible actions and all the, the terrible actors that, that we see in life, God wants to save them. God is long-suffering and he uses many different ways to move people's hearts as he tries to turn them from their, you know, their, their wicked behavior. And we're going to see some of these various ways in our study tonight, uh, events. Uh, in this chapter. So let's begin now with verses 1 and 2. The scriptures say, That night the king could not sleep. So one, of his, so, so one was commanded to bring the book of the records of the Chronicles. And they were read before the king. And it was found written that Mordecai had told of Begthana and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs, the doorkeepers who had sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. So we start our study this evening being told that the king couldn't sleep that particular night. He had a, a, a slight case of insomnia. Okay, so he couldn't sleep. What's the big deal? 
a lot of people uh, every night, you know, have trouble sleeping. But why would the Holy Spirit consider that to be important enough to, you know, record it in the scriptures? Like I said, a lot of people have sleepless nights. They toss, they turn, they either finally fall asleep or they get up until they can fall asleep. You know, it, it may seem like a little thing, but always keep in mind, God uses small things for carrying out his will. And I think that he wants, to, he wants us to see this in our study. But this particular night that the king couldn't sleep was a very significant night in the history of the empire because it's the turning point in the book of Esther. Now, have you noticed, you know, if, you know, when you read the scriptures and, you know, as you've gone through the scriptures, that God uses little things to carry out his plan, you know, to carry out his purposes. For example, how about the time in Egypt when God used the sensitivity of a woman's heart and the cry of a baby to bring the two together? And that is when Pharaoh's daughter found the baby uh, Moses in a basket floating down the river. And as a result, God changed the destiny of a nation. We read in 1 Kings 18.44, Then it came to pass the seventh time that he, that is Elijah's servant, said to Elijah, There is a cloud as small as a man's hand rising out of the sea. So he said, Go up, say to Ahab, Prepare your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. All Elijah's servant could see was a small cloud about the size of a man's hand in the middle of the vast blue sky. But that small cloud was more than enough for God to do his work. Elijah had such faith in God's promise that he took action. Elijah expected rain, even though it was a cloud the size of a, a small cloud the size of a man's hand. And Elijah <clears throat> tells his servant, hey, hurry up and go tell Ahab to climb into his chariot and go back home. Because if you don't hurry, the rain's going to stop you. All the servant saw was this little cloud. And by faith, Elijah said, hey, a downpour is coming. The servant's eye can see a small, only can see a small cloud. But you see, when you see through the eyes of faith like Elijah did, when he saw the promise of God, God is keeping his word. In Judges 4.21, when Sesera, enemy of God, fell asleep from exhaustion, Jael quietly crept up to him with a hammer and a tent peg in her hand. Then she drove that tent peg through his temple into the ground, and so he died. We read in Judges 15, 15, Samuel used a fresh jawbone of a donkey. Uh, he took it and he killed a thousand men with it. And then in 1 Kings 17, 12 through 16, it says, As the Lord our God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin and a little, notice, a little oil in a jar. And see, I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, do not fear, go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me. And afterward, make some for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, the bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the little jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. So she went away and did according to the word of Elijah. And she and her and her husband ate for many days. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the little jar of oil run dry, according to the word of the Lord, which was spoken by Elijah. And then in 1 Kings nine eleven through 12, 
God said to Elijah, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind and after the wind an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in a fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. So again, as we see these references in scripture, God uses small things. Small things to get, you know, his his purpose done. The question is, do you live for, do you live your life expecting great things? Great things from God. Do the little things in life excite you? Or you just, you know, downplay them? How about right now in the midst of this, you know, stay at home lockdown that we're in because of the pandemic? You know, we're we're not running around, we're, 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 you know, kind of locked up at home. And, and, you know, do we see the little things in our life right now that, that, that God is showing us? Do you imagine the unbelievable and do you expect the impossible? And life is full of and overflowing uh, with chances to see God's hand in the little things. And, and I'm wondering if God has allowed this, this pandemic, you know, in, in our life right now, to slow us down and to see the small things in life that we miss because we're so busy and, and we don't see them. We don't pay attention to them. You know, the little things that we take for granted. You know, we need to say, God, what is it again? And I've said this many times in our studies. Lord, what is it you want to show us through this? Lord, what is it you want to teach us? What do you want me to get out of this? As we're all praying, Lord, get us out of this. Lord, teach us. Teach us to see you in everything that takes place. So again, only the most sensitive servants who are looking for and expecting to see these little things are going to see them. You know, God's hand is in the little things. The psalmist said in Psalm 62, 5, for my expectation is from him. We expect from God. Why? Because we believe in him. We shouldn't want anything that that wouldn't be right for God to give us. And I personally, I don't want anything that I shouldn't have. Even though many times I've prayed for things that I thought I needed or would be good for me. And, and you know, and I didn't get them. And I look back and, and I, I, I look at it and I go, thank you, Lord, that you didn't answer that prayer because it was silly. It really wasn't something I needed. It was something I thought I did need, but you know what? You knew I shouldn't have it, and I thank you for that, Lord. But worldly men, you know, they have hopeless expectations in this world. They have expectations that don't come to pass. And over the centuries, look at all the promises, all the plans, all the hopes that politicians have made up to this date. How many of them promise no more wars? We still have wars and rumors of wars. How many have promised world peace? How many of them promised no more poverty if I'm elected? No more world hunger. They've promised us the American dream. Well, look where we're at tonight. They promise so much, but they deliver so little. But you see, our expectations in the Lord are on the way. And in God's time, they're going to come. And, he, and, and they're going to bless us and they're going to satisfy our hopes. Blessed is the man, happy is the man who feels that he has all that he needs, 
who feels that all he has and all he wants and all he expects are to be found in their God. And that's why the Lord said that we must become like a little child because little children are full of faith. Man, they believe everything that you tell them, even the impossible. They have no limits to what they believe. The problem is that when we get older and we grow up, we become wise, but we become wise in our own eyes and we begin to lean on our own understanding and we say, come on now, let's be real. That can't happen. That doesn't make any sense. We begin to lose our wonder of God. We begin to lose our expectancy. We lose our anticipation and our excitement. We need to get back to great expectations. God says, hey, I haven't changed. I still love to do the impossible. I still love to blow your mind. Here in our story, a normal thing that happens every night all around the world happened at the palace of Shushan. The king couldn't sleep. Um, Maybe he ate too much or he ate something that didn't agree with his stomach or maybe it was heartburn or indigestion. Hey, it could have been a lot of things. But again, God is in it. So he couldn't sleep. He gets up. And then he commands his servants to bring the records of the kingdom to him. And they were read to the king. And he probably thought, this is probably going to be pretty boring reading. And it's probably going to put me to sleep. So the reading was probably boring. And he thought, hey, you know, it'll help me to fall asleep. But the time had come now. At this moment, it was time for God to begin to move. And he begins by the king having this sleepless night. On this special night, the servants just, you know, again, being facetious here, the servants just coincidentally happened to turn to a certain place in the records. And at this point, we see a series of little things that have started to build up and they have come together to show God's hand in life's circumstances. God is moving. He's putting the pieces of the puzzle of life together. He's overruling. He's beginning to, to, to show us the, the, the big picture. You know, it wasn't an accident that, that Esther became queen. It wasn't an accident uh, that, that when she presented herself to the king, she found favor in his sight. It wasn't an accident when the king held out his scepter to her. And it wasn't an accident that he accepted her invitation to the banquet that she prepared. All of those things were God's hand moving in all of these events. Now, on this particular night, the king can't sleep. This is no accident. It's no accident that the servant begins to read at this particular place in the records of the kingdom. And I think of this, and it, and it was no accident the night that I started reading the Bible in Romans chapter 7. Of all the places that I could have started to read, it was in chapter 7 of Romans. And that night, in 1973, it led to my salvation. That was not an accident. God was calling me. He was moving in my life. There were other things in my life that were taking place. And, and, and this was just another one of those that, again, carried out God's purpose in saving me. So this is an amazing example here in the king's life of the providential control of God's um, God over circumstances in the history of man. And the survival of God's chosen people, the Jews, depended on the king's sleepless night. 
It all rested on this, this sleepless night. It's the fulfillment of prophecy. It's the coming of the Redeemer and the whole work of redemption. Now, how would it all turn out was never was in doubt because God was in control and God was making the most ordinary events, the simplest things work together for good, for Haman's downfall and for Israel's continued existence. Let's look at verse three. And it says, then the king said, what honor or dignity has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? And the king's servants who attended him said, nothing has been done for him. So after the servants read this, this uh, part of the, of the, of the uh, city records to, to, to the king, the king, 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 the king asked, was Mordecai regarded, record, uh, rewarded for this? Of all the nights that the king couldn't sleep, why this night? He didn't know about Haman's plan. That he, he didn't know that Haman was going to, but it was a plan that Haman was going to tell him the next morning. Now, while Haman, Mordecai, and Esther, and all of Persia is sleeping that night, the king can't sleep. Now, in, 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 in verse 1 of chapter 6, notice it says, that night. You know, underline and make a note there uh, just with the word that. Because that night, okay, at the last minute, God steps in. That particular night, it, it's, it's pointing out a particular night, a special night that God moved in the heart of the king. That night, it wasn't like any other night. That night, it was a particular night in God's plan. Up to this point, Mordecai really, you know, re- really wasn't important to the king. He was really a nobody to the king. He didn't really mean much to the king. But now, all of a sudden, because Mordecai can't sleep, uh, his, his total focus now is on Mordecai. It's all he can think about. You know, it's like maybe you've done a lot of good things in your life, you know, and nobody's noticed it. Or maybe somebody else has gotten all the credit for it, you know, for the good things that you've done. And, and maybe you feel ripped off. You feel unappreciated, forgotten, or nobody cares. But be careful that you don't become bitter and you don't become vengeful. God is in control. God sees everything. He knows everything. He doesn't forget. So as Paul said, let us not grow weary while doing good because in due season we shall reap if, notice, if we don't lose heart. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, My beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Hebrews 6.10, the author says, because God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of, for, uh, labor of love, which you have shown toward his name. So as soon as the king's, king hears that nothing's been done for Mordecai, the man that saved his life, he starts thinking, wow, how can I reward this man? Verses four and five now. So the king said, who is in the court? Now, Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace to suggest that the king hang Mordecai on the gallows that he had prepared for him. The king's servant said to him, Haman is there standing in the court. And the king said, let him come in. So at the very same time, the king found out that Mordecai was never rewarded for saving his life. Haman was heard coming into the outer court. And the king asked, hey, who's, out, who's that out there in the, in the outer court? 
Well, and they tell him, well, it's Haman. He's coming to the king's house to get the king's okay to hang Mordecai on the gallows that he built for him. And when Haman comes in, the king begins to question him. And the king doesn't give him any idea why he's asking these questions. But, but, but Haman came to ask the king for his okay to hang Mordecai at the same time that the king wants to reward Mordecai. And so these circumstances show the hand of God moving in the life of his people. Behind the scene, God is watching over his people. And even though his people are here, who are here, they're, they're out of the will of God. They're in a land that's far away from where God wants them to be. Notice, they are still his people. They're still under his care. They're still under his watchful eye. And these, these providential moves couldn't be accidental. Verse 6. So Haman came in and the king asked him, What shall be done for the man whom the king delights to honor? Now Haman uh, thought in his heart, whom, whom would the king delight honor more than me? So when, when the king asked Haman, hey, what should we do for the man who, who, who the king delights to honor? Well, Haman says to himself in his heart, he's saying, wow, you know, the, who would the king like to honor more than me? You know, he's thinking pretty highly of himself. When Haman walks in and he's standing in front of the king, again, he's met with this question. And of course, here we see that Haman thinks, wow, the king is, is thinking about, he's talking about me. Who, who could he want to honor more than me? Uh, after all, you know, I'm the one that he made prime minister. So, uh, and also he gave me his signet ring and, and so on. You know, he's thinking about you know, how, you know, how wonderful he is. He's saying, who else in the kingdom would the king just love to honor? For sure, it couldn't be Mordecai. So again, Haman is thinking uh, 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 about himself at this moment. Verse 7 and 9. And Haman answered the king, For the man whom the king delights to honor, let a royal robe be brought, which the king has worn, and a horse on which the king has ridden, which has a royal crest placed on its head. Then let this robe and horse be delivered to the hand of one of the king's most noble princes, that he may array the man whom the king delights to honor. Then parade him on horseback through the city square and proclaim before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Man, Haman's true colors, man, they are showing here. You can see what's in his heart. It's all about me. What it was is, you see, Haman had his eye on the throne. It was his intention one day to be king. All along, it was his intention. And when the time was right, he would eliminate the king. That's what Persian kings would do. That was what they would do. It was hard for a man to stay on the throne for very long. When a king was on his throne, he didn't know who his friends were. He didn't know who his enemies were. Haman had wealth. But you know what? He wanted something more than wealth. He wanted something more than, than, he wanted something his money couldn't buy. He wanted respect. You see, with all of his wealth, people could see that he was wealthy. People could see that he was successful. They could see that he had power. But Haman's desire was for popularity. And that, that desire had become overpowering. The lesson is never let your desire for approval and applause and popularity cause you to do the wrong things. Verse 10. Then the king said to Haman, 
Hurry, take the robe and the horse as you have suggested and do so for Mordecai the Jew who sits within the king's gate. Leave nothing undone of all that you have spoken. Can you imagine what Haman is thinking? What? Did I hear him right? You got to be kidding me. You see, there's nothing the king could have asked Haman to do that would have been more irritating, annoying, and more humiliating than going out there and putting the king's robe on Mordecai, putting the king's, putting him on the king's horse, and then leading Mordecai through the streets, telling everybody, this is the man the king delighted to honor. A man that Mordecai hated. I mean, a man that Haman hated and wanted dead. I mean, giving Mordecai this honor, it was appalling to Haman. And it was beyond words to him. He hated him that much. Verse 11. So Haman took the robe and the horse, arrayed Mordecai, and led him on horseback through the city square and proclaimed before him, Thus shall it be done to the man who the king delights to honor. Mordecai was probably more shocked than Haman. Mordecai wasn't a proud man. Mordecai wasn't a vengeful man. He wasn't, he wasn't whispering to Haman, hey, bro, why don't you shout a little louder so everybody could hear me? He wasn't spitefully rubbing it in, you know, uh, Haman's face. And we don't read anything here that, that about Mordecai saying anything. You know, he could handle the attention and he could handle the applause. Now, again, this wasn't exactly what Haman had in mind for Mordecai. Instead of leading Mordecai through the streets in honor, Haman had intended to hang him on the gallows. So the humiliation of Haman here is totally beyond words. Can you imagine what Haman was feeling at this very moment as he led this horse with the man he hated wearing the king's robe who wouldn't bow to him sitting on the horse being led through the street who he had gallows made for, waiting for him at home, ready to hang him. Verse 12. Afterward, notice, after all of this, Mordecai went back to the king's gate, but Haman hurried to his house, mourning, and notice, with his head covered. His head covered. The last time, remember, the last time Haman went home, he was bragging about himself. About the, how the king promoted him and, you know, he was the king's right hand man and, and he was the only one invited to, to Esther's party, you know, with the king. And, and so, but he, he's, not, he's not too thrilled right now. You know, as, as it's described in verse 12, it sounds like he kind of, you know, took off and he slips into his house and he's covered up. He doesn't want anybody to see him. He's so ticked off and he's so, so humiliated right now. He's whining and he's complaining about what just happened to, to, to him today at the office. Mordecai, on the other hand, he goes back to the gate where he's been on along. No big deal. There are a lot of Hamans in our world today. Always blaming somebody else for all the bad things that happen to them in life. They never get a lucky break. You know, it's always the excuse. If it hadn't been for him, if she hadn't done that, if my boss hadn't, you know, you can fill in the blanks or, you know, it, it all began with Adam. It's the wife you gave me, Lord. But we never stop to think, wow, God taught me a great lesson today through this. God broke me through this, but I learned to trust in him or through this loss, I gained a lot. And especially right now, you know, as 
we're experiencing this, this terrible virus. And, and, you know, are we looking for lessons? As I said earlier, is God breaking us through this? Is he, is he showing us things? Are we learning to trust in him through this great, this great you know, uh, pandemic? You know, uh, uh, you know uh, have I gained through this loss? Verse 13. When Haman told his wife Zeresh and all of his friends everything that happened to him, his wise men, that is his counselors, and his wife Zeresh said to him, If Mordecai, before whom you have begun to fall, is of Jewish descent, you will not prevail against him, but will surely fall before him. Now, I'm sure that's not what he wanted to hear from his wife and his friends. But Haman was a very wicked man. And he had come up with a plan to kill the Jews with the king's approval. But the problem is things are not turning out the way he had planned on them to turn out. Things are turning against Haman after Esther's banquet with him and the king. And Haman tells his wife and his counselors how this thing is turning out, how this thing has turned around and against him. After they heard Haman's story, they predict, this is sad, man, they predicted his downfall. And it, and it did come. It came to pass. So we see the wisdom in his friends and his wife's prediction. What they predicted of Haman's downfall was a very wise prediction. And it's supported by the word of God and it's supported by history. First of all, the the Bible predicts that those who mistreat the Jews, they will be cursed. Genesis 12, 3. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse those who curse you. Secondly, history has also proved this prediction to be true. They didn't have the scriptures at that time. But the Jews continued to exist. They continued to exist since the times of Cyrus. And that was good enough for the heathen to remember who paid attention to what was going on. They saw the signs of the times. They saw the history of the Jews and they saw that there was that that something was special going on with them. They paid attention to what was going on in their day. Again, they saw the signs of the times. I mean, are we really looking at the signs of the times right now? I mean, they couldn't be any clearer that Jesus Christ is coming soon. And somebody sent me a little saying that says, we're not looking for the signs of the times. We're listening for the trump. We're listening for the trumpet. Because the signs are all around us. Now we need to be looking up and listening for the trumpet sound. So the world can learn from history as well as from the word of God that the Jews are going to survive. They are going to have victory over their enemies. Listen to Ezekiel chapter 39 verses 25 through 29, uh, reading it from the New Living Translation. So now this is what the sovereign Lord says. I will end the captivity of my people. I will have mercy on all Israel, for I jealously guard my holy reputation. They will accept responsibility for their past shame and unfaithfulness after they come home to live in in peace in their own land with no one to bother them. When I bring them home from the lands of their enemies, I will display my holiness among them for all the nations to see. Then my people will know that I am the Lord their God because I sent them away to exile and brought them home again. I will leave none of my people behind. I will never again turn my face from them for I will pour out my spirit upon the people of Israel. I, the sovereign Lord, have spoken. And as we all know, the world does not pay much attention to history or to God's word. There's also a warning in Haman's friend's prediction. 
He tells Haman, look, Haman, you are never going to carry out your plans against Mordecai. And you know what? If you continue to do so, it is going to be disastrous for you if you keep on opposing him. But he didn't listen. You know, again, that, that's, that's what a, a hard heart does. It, it goes on. It'll continue to fight against God. And this prediction about Haman's downfall, it's a warning to every persecutor of the Jews and to every persecutor of God's people. The prediction says that if you persecute the Jews, you're going to bring judgment upon yourself. No people or nation will escape the prediction of judgment for those who mistreat God's people, the Jews. God's decree in Genesis 12, 3 is unchangeable. And if it's ignored, it's to your own hurt. And we see Hitler and others have proven this to be true who tried to come against the Jews, who tried to wipe out God's chosen people. Just because you can't see God, just because he's invisible, it doesn't mean he's out of touch. It doesn't mean that he's not concerned. God hasn't forgotten his people. He hasn't forgotten his promises to them. And he hasn't forgotten their enemies. Verse 14. While, while they were still talking, the king's eunuchs arrived and quickly took Haman to the banquet that Esther had prepared. Now, it wouldn't be very comforting to have your wife and your friends hint or suggest to you that tomorrow is probably going to be your last day. Things are happening really quick in, in, in Haman's life here. Haman no sooner gets home and he tells his wife and his counselors what had happened. And then there's a knock at the door. And the king's servants tell Haman, hurry up, man. He said, the banquet that you, you promised to attend, it's ready. And Haman, man, he was really looking forward to this dinner, this banquet. And remember earlier how he was bragging and he was telling everybody, hey, man, I'm the only one that the queen, and the queen had invited with the king to come to her banquet. And they're telling him to hurry up. Hey, you're going to be late for this banquet, you know, the one you'd been looking forward to. But again, things were happening so fast he couldn't keep up with them. Things in Haman's life right now are, are they're, they're beginning to spiral downward out of control and to his disadvantage. He has no control over what's taking place in his life right now. Do you know why? Because God is on the throne. Because God is overruling everything and he's making sure, God is making sure that Haman's plot, his plan does not succeed. So in closing... Do you tonight find yourself in this story? Have you been building your own little kingdom? Have you been doing your own thing? Gathering your own fortune? Making a name for yourself so that others will make a big fuss over you? And have you stepped on other people to get there? Do you feel like God has been absent or on hold in your life? Maybe a little distant? Remember this. He may have seemed absent or seems absent, but he's been with you every step of the way. He's promised us to never leave us nor forsake us. He knows the real condition, the true condition of your heart and my heart. He knows the hidden corrupt motives of our heart. He knows the wickedness of our sin. And even though God's people often disobeyed him, even though they were often not spiritually or physical where God wanted them to be, he would deliver them. He would deliver them anyway. And always remember, in the end, God is going to have his way. 
God's not impressed with, with men's kingdoms. He's not impressed with their power, with their pride, their status, their wealth, or their fame. But he is impressed with a humble heart that comes to him on his terms. You see, Haman never learned to do this. Have you? No one ever can force you to your knees. Only God can do that. And that's his job. And he's really good at it. Really good at it. He's never turned his back on anyone who honestly came to him by way of the cross. Have you come by way of the cross to God? He's ready when you are, but don't put it off. You don't know how much time you have. You know, we're not guaranteed tomorrow. And it's tough bringing it up, but, you know, we see that in, in, in this pandemic. We're not promised tomorrow. I mean, how many of us would have thought in two months our world would be turned upside down and many lives lost? Would have never dreamed it in a million years. You can strut around like Haman, thinking that you're in control and that you have it all planned out. But you can only do that for so long. And then what you sowed, you will reap. As Paul reminds us in Galatians 6, 8, for he who sows to his flesh, that is his carnal nature, his lower nature, his sensuality, for those who feed that lower nature will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Father, we thank you always so much for your word, God. And Lord, when we read your word, and and especially as we've been looking through Esther, God, Father, we have seen the times that we're in right now in every episode, every chapter, God. In between the lines, we can see, God, this pandemic, Lord, and the the great losses and and the questions, Father, and the concern and the worry and the anxiety, Lord. But again, Father, um, we're here. We're living during this time, God, as Esther was living in her time for such a time as this, God. And Lord, I believe as, as your word has told us, we are to be preaching the gospel, Lord, sharing our faith, showing the love and the, and the gloriousness of Jesus Christ to this world right now who is God, who, there, there are many who are, who are dying. There are many who are committing suicide. There are many who are, are drinking and, and, and abusing drugs, Lord, and, and domestic violence, God, and child abuse, God, because they don't know where to turn. They don't know what to do. They don't know where to go, God. Lord, you're our only hope. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by me. And if you will just reach out to Christ tonight and ask for forgiveness of your sins and Invite him into your life and commit to following him all the days of your life. 
believe on the work of the cross and that he died for you and to cover all of your sin. Then he will become your Lord and your Savior and you will become his child. And Father, we just thank you for your love and your grace and we continue to come before you And we thank you that we have such a wonderful God, a powerful God, greater than any virus, any pandemic, Lord, anything that this world could ever see or know, God. And we lean upon you, Lord, because you're our strength, you're our hope, you're our great expectation, God. And we thank you. Hence, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.